Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. All rise. Please be seated. Now, how old are you? 27. Where were you born? Raised from Louisiana. Thursday, November 15th, 2018. It's day three of a murder trial and a young woman is testifying about her childhood and about her complicated relationship with her mother. In June of 2015, uh, were you in a wheelchair? Yes. Why were you in a wheelchair in in June of 2015? Because my mother forced me to be in one. Was there a time between when you first were put in a wheelchair in June of 2015 that you figured out that you really didn't need to be in a wheelchair? Yes. When was that? I always knew that I didn't need the wheelchair. How did you know that? Because I could walk. This week on Killer Cases. I want to start off with saying things are not always as they appear. They believe she might have leukemia, could not walk, was in a wheelchair. I mean, you name it, this, this girl had it. What eventually came out fairly quickly was that it was a scam. The big shock to a lot of people was that she was up and walking around. Very brutal. Extremely, extremely brutal. And almost a severing of her head. I'm sorry that I lied to you from the beginning. I'll tell you the truth. So the question is, who's the mastermind? For Vault Studios and the Law and Crime Network, I'm Brian Ross. This is Killer Cases, the podcast. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. I think, you know, we live here in a a generous community, Springfield, that likes to uh, look out for one another. Harrison Keegan is a journalist with the Springfield News Leader, a local newspaper in Springfield, Missouri, a community that opened its heart to Claudine, or Dee Dee Blanchard, and her teenage daughter, Gypsy, in 2005. And I think the headline was something like, Hurricane Katrina survivors, you know, happily settled here in Springfield. Prosecutor Nathan Chapman remembers it much the same way. She captured sort of the heart of the Springfield community early on. So easy to live here. It just proves that happy endings are not just in fairy tales, they're real. Springfield loved Dee Dee and Gypsy, and they loved Springfield right back. Life had not been easy for the mother and daughter, according to Fancy Maselli 
a family friend who served as a spokesperson for Gypsy. They believe she might have leukemia, um, that she was asthmatic, that she had seizures, she had ear problems, eye problems, she was paralyzed from the waist down, could not walk, was in a wheelchair. I mean, you name it, this, this girl had it. Gypsy's mother seemed brave in the face of so much adversity continuing to take care of her daughter as she became an adult. Oh my goodness, what an incredible mother this is to, you know, she's on her own here taking on this challenge of raising a, a child with so many medical problems. They got a house from Habitat for Humanity in Missouri. But one warm late spring night in 2015, just after midnight, that home built for Dee Dee Blanchard and her daughter Gypsy became the scene of a brutal crime. A crime discovered after friends saw a Facebook post from Dee Dee and Gypsy's shared account reading, That bitch is dead. That Facebook post was seen by uh, friends and neighbors of Claudine. They ended up then contacting the sheriff's office to do a well-being check, and that's ultimately how Claudine's body was found. Very brutal, extremely, extremely brutal, and almost a severing of her head. Dee Dee was found murdered in her bedroom. Gypsy, her now 23-year-old daughter, was missing, and the community couldn't believe it. Just total shock. We have this, this mother and daughter who just seems, you know, so happy and good-hearted. Another shock. Police found Gypsy's wheelchair in the house. And then, okay, well, that that really ramps up the the need to find her because, you know, you're thinking, okay, she's, you know, maybe helpless out there without her mom. Then someone left a comment on the original post claiming to have killed Dee Dee and sexually assaulted Gypsy. Mysteriously, the comment came from the same shared account. First, they all thought that, you know, somebody had kidnapped Gypsy. The second Facebook message indicated that, that the perpetrator had done something to Gypsy sexually. Police were able to obtain location data from the posts, which led them almost 500 miles away to a home outside Waukesha, Wisconsin. The residents of 26-year-old Nicholas Godajan. So they went out and there was actually a standoff between Nicholas and the police for a, for a brief moment. He was brandishing a, um, a knife and waving it around and he didn't want to come out. It wasn't even known yet if Gypsy was still alive, but that if she was, it was still thought that she was possibly a prisoner being held hostage by Mr. Godajan at that point. But when police gained entry to go to John's house, they found Gypsy was there of her own free will, along with a load of cash, disguises, and wigs. And that's when they first learned not only that, but they're actually in a relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend. Even more stunning, Gypsy was not using her wheelchair. The big shock to a lot of people was that she was up and walking around. The young woman who had been using a wheelchair for years and who supposedly needed a house with ramps and specialized facilities, could walk. And that was not the only surprise. That's when they learned there was nothing wrong with her. What eventually came out fairly quickly was that it was a scam. A scam the mother had been pulling off for years, apparently, as a way to trick sympathetic people and charities out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. The wheelchair was nothing but a prop. And a lot of people were hurt when they discovered that 
you know, Gypsy does, didn't really have any medical problems and that her mom had, had sort of duped everyone into uh, being charitable towards them. But for police in June of 2015, the focus was not the scam, but the killing of Dee Dee Blanchard. Gypsy and her boyfriend, Nicholas Godijohn, were brought to the Waukesha Police Department, where Gypsy acted as if she were without a care in the world as she waited for detectives from Missouri to arrive. Never asked about her mom. She never asked, why am I here? Well, Gypsy, um, we are here investigating something, so I do need to talk with you about some things, okay? Um, I'm, I'm thankful because I have no idea why I'm here. Okay. Nobody will tell me anything. Yeah, okay. Um, your mom's dead, okay? Now, what I want to ask you Wait, well, is what, what, your, your, mom's, your mom's passed away, okay? And she's deceased, all right? Now, what I want to ask you, did you have involvement in this? Gypsy is adamant she did not. Um, she's like, no, oh my gosh, was it a heart attack? Did she commit suicide? Please tell me she did not commit suicide. She, she had bipolar. All these different things, and she just kind of sticks to this story of I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't know my mom. I know you do. I know you, sweetheart, I know you love your mom. I have no doubt that you love your mom. <laughs> I know you love your mom. I know she thinks your mom loves you. But she thinks your mom just is is worried about you. Loves you. Okay. But we gotta get down to the bottom of why. Okay. I honestly didn't do anything to my mama. Who did? Who did? Gypsy insists she doesn't know what happened to her mother. But that, like much of her life, was a lie. Inside a small interview room at the Waukesha County Sheriff's Office, Detective Stan Hancock would spend hours sitting across from Gypsy Blanchard, trying to get to the bottom of what happened to her mother, Dee Dee. Do you really want to dig yourself? You're, you're digging yourself deeper. Okay? No, seriously, I would never listen, hurt listen her. Listen to me. Listen to me, okay? I, I don't. I don't play around with that, okay? I'm not going to play around with this, okay? Sir, I didn't do listen anything. To me. They realized quite early before they even walked into the the room that you know that she was she had her wits about her. She's not a stupid girl by any means. Um, she's, in fact, she's extremely intelligent. Gypsy's bizarre case was investigated by family friend Fancy Maselli for her podcast, The Good Wives Guide to True Crime. Now, she's not educated. Uh, her mother didn't, you know, send her to school. You know, Disney movies and books were her education. According to Maselli, Gypsy's Disney fantasy world was all she had. It was her only escape from a cruel mother who had used and abused her for most of her life, telling her and the world that she had a laundry list of health problems, including cancer, muscular dystrophy, and epilepsy. All of them made up. But prosecutor Nathan Chapman says Gypsy didn't know that. Gypsy did not necessarily know it was a scam. She truly believed she had these conditions. And Gypsy received real treatments for them. Unlike the fantasy world Gypsy liked to dream about, 
Her real world was one of prescriptions, medications, and unnecessary surgeries. Gypsy has a full denture set. Um, it's it's pretty sad, you know, that she had the, her teeth rotted right out of her head. And a lot of that has to do with the medications that she was given. I can only imagine how awful that would have been to have been trapped in, in a home like that where um, like a prisoner basically her whole life. Once, when Gypsy was a teenager, Fancy Maselli says Dee Dee locked her daughter in a backyard shed after learning she had been messaging boys online. Um, in this shed is nothing um, except for a toddler bed. According to Gypsy, she was told that, you know, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'll put you in there and you'll never come out again. Gypsy wanted freedom. She didn't want to be under her mom's thumb anymore. It was when the premiere date for the Disney film Cinderella was announced that Gypsy asked a boy she met on a Christian dating site to come to Springfield. His name, Nicholas Godijan. I invited him to come in March to see Cinderella with me. She was dressed to the nines as Cinderella. Uh, she had the the big wig on, the uh, the big, huge blue dress on. So she looked like a fairy tale princess, and he's kind of dressed like Prince Charming. Unfortunately, it hurt my mom's feelings because I paid more attention to him than her. Okay. And um, anyway, she didn't like him from then on. Somehow, Gypsy convinces her mom she needs to go to the restroom, and so she wheels herself out, and then Nick leaves the um, the theater as well. Um, and they meet up in the bathroom, the handicapped bathroom. And that is where they had um, sex for the very first time. How romantic, right? She's never even been kissed by a boy at this point. And her first experience with any type of physical contact with another human is, you know, sex in a, in a bathroom in a movie theater at the premiere of Cinderella. He said that it's us against the world. And that he's going to protect me no matter what, and that we were going to get married and everything, and nothing was going to stop us. After almost two hours of lies, Detective Stan Hancock would finally start to get some truth out of Gypsy, who tells him it was then, after the Cinderella premiere, that the plot to kill her mother began to take shape. But why didn't he hurt her? Now's the time to be truthful, sweetheart. No more lies. The only reason I can think of is because he wanted me to himself. Okay. Because my mom kept on getting in the way of us being together. Sure. Sure she did. She didn't like Nick. Mm -hmm. She didn't want her little baby girl to grow up. She wanted to keep her little baby girl young, didn't she? the truth of it really began to come out. Detective Hancock did a great job of sort of establishing a rapport with her and not being judgmental, not being aggressive, because those are the types of things that can cause someone to shut down and not provide information. I'm sorry that I lied to you from the beginning. I'll tell you the truth also. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Okay. I love him so much, but maybe he can get help now. Okay. Like, Wait. Maybe he can. Then she finally says it. He, he killed my mom.
Gypsy slowly begins to describe how she helped Nicholas sneak into her house late that night, how she handed him a knife she had stolen for him during a trip to Walmart. What was your mom doing at that point when she sleeps? She was asleep, and I, I got up to use the restroom. And I was just sitting there, and I looked you heard your mom crying. You heard you heard your mom crying. And you heard your mom calling out your name. Mm-hmm. You screaming. You yeah. describe her screaming to me. No, that's an awkward question. Startled. Okay. And um then she kept screaming louder and louder. And then she had to Gypsy, Gypsy, I think I knew what he was doing. At that point, you knew what he was doing? I knew what he was doing. And your mom was hollering at you for you? But I was too afraid to go because I was afraid he'd do the same to me. Gypsy says Nicholas then led her into her bedroom. And then he took me to my bedroom. And um, he made me take off all my toys off the bed. So it means you take all your toys off your bed? Okay. He raped me. Then he raped you? Detective Stan Hancock is skeptical of Gypsy's story, taking photos to document what Gypsy says were bruises she suffered at the hands of Nicholas Godijan. But despite the way Gypsy sounds and often acts, Hancock realizes he's not talking to a child. She's calculating. She is manipulative. Um, and these are all things that are created by what her mother taught her and did. I'm asking you direct and straight. Mm-hmm. You don't think he's going to tell me that you had anything to do with your mom's killing? Um, and this is the time to be honest, because like I told you, to walk out that door. He ended up having a big notion of us doing everything together as a team, but I didn't, I didn't want this. Um, my mom and him. So did you kill your mom? No, no, sir. Did you help? No, sir. Nicholas killed your mom? No, sir. No, sir. Did you have knowledge that Nicholas was going to kill your mom before he did it? Yes, sir. She truly believed she was going to get up and walk back out of there. But in another room down the hall, Nicholas Godijan would tell a much different story. I I don't think we're ever going to get the full story from either one of them as to what actually went down. The night of the murder, the two of them hid out at a motel while waiting for a bus to take them to go to John's home in Wisconsin. While there, Prosecutor Nathan Chapman says they cooked up a plan to avoid getting caught. Mr. Godijan thought he was going to get away with it. Uh, They had planned to mail uh, the murder weapon and a glove from Springfield back to Mr. Godijan's house um, prior to getting on the bus. Before they ultimately left, they had come up with a pre-planned story for uh, what to say should they be caught and asked what happened. Hello. Hello. You've been here a long time waiting for me to get here? Oh my gosh, have it ever been. It did not take long for Mr. Godijan to abandon 
the pre-planned story that he just sort of stole Gypsy in the middle of the night. While interrogating Nicholas, Detective Angela Maholi plays on the young man's feelings for Gypsy, trying to get him to implicate her. And you love her? Oh, do I love her? You I was, love her a lot? I was bummed my eyes out waiting for this moment to where I can talk to you. Okay. Because I was so worried about her. So, do you want to um, do the right thing by Gypsy if you love her? Well, the truth is I worship her. So I, I know you there's do. No way, there's no way I wouldn't do it on her. I know. I would think for her. I know you do. I believe you do. But this is the point where you're going to prove whether you do or not, okay? We mean you talk. Okay. Okay? Because it's not fair. It's not fair to Gypsy for her to be honest and you to, to, you to lie, okay? So what I want to know is, is um, can you tell me this first? Did Gypsy know that you were going to kill her mother? Um, honestly... She asked me to. Okay. So so Gypsy knew you were going to do it because Gypsy asked you to. Yes. Why did she ask you to do that? Because she felt it was her only way to be with me. And then really from there on, he is very forthright and very detailed in what actually happened. Because, and then the truth is, okay, I'll admit it. I did actually stab her mom. I will admit it. I know. Okay. Go to John starts to fill in some of the missing details of what happened that night in Dee Dee's bedroom. Do you know how many times you stabbed her? Uh, four. You stabbed her four? Yeah, four times. The autopsy of Dee Dee Blanchard would show she was actually stabbed 17 times, her head nearly severed. And then she called up for Gypsy, but Gypsy didn't do anything. Okay. She hollered for Gypsy? Yes. Did she holler for Gypsy once, twice, five times? Three times. Three times? And what was she saying? Can you tell me how she said it? Um, she pretty much yelped it. Yelped it? Yes, she's like, Gypsy. Okay. Yeah, she was loud. And what did you do when she did that? Uh, it didn't stop me from keep on going. Okay, you just kept stabbing her? Yeah. And then they begin a cleanup, uh, procedure where actually he asks Gypsy to clean naked. That was his request because um, that was something that turned him on, cleaning up this murder scene while she's naked. And then uh, she wanted to have sex with me, so I did. Okay. She wanted to have sex with you? Yes. Okay. Remember, down the hall, Gypsy had been telling Detective Stan Hancock a much different version of events. Did he rape you? Go to John would proceed to tell detectives he has two people inside his head, one good and one evil. The one who actually did all this, the thing is, I originally, the good side of me, originally refused to do it. Okay. And that's the reason why it was instant that it happened right away. Okay. Because my evil side is what actually did it. Okay. According to Fancy Maselli, Gota John named his evil side Victor. So Victor is one of the characters that Nicholas made up. Um, he's his evil side. And he claims that he is a 500-year-old vampire who enjoys killing. I have you just got angry. More than one person inside me. There's actually multiple personalities of myself. Have you been diagnosed with that? 
I probably should be diagnosed with it because it happens. The thing is, I used to take a medication because okay. I used to hear voices in my head. Right. Well, you seem like a pretty honorable person, and you love gypsies, so I mean. Well, that's the thing. I uh, I admitted to the thing is, me and Gypsy have cried multiple times together over this. Yes. Okay. And I've told her this will haunt me for the rest of my life because it's the truth. They will. Nicholas and Gypsy had told different stories but both would find themselves facing charges of murder. Breaking news now, two people charged in the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard, including her daughter Gypsy and her boyfriend, Nicholas Godijan. Both are now in custody. This is a tragic, tragic event surrounded by mystery and public deception. Gypsy fell through every crack possible. The family was suspicious. They knew things were wrong and they did nothing. Doctors knew things were wrong and they did nothing. As the sad tale of Gypsy Blanchard's childhood abuse became widely known. It is just horrifying to think that this could go on for 23 years. Prosecutors in Missouri had a big decision to make about the two suspects who had been extradited back to Missouri and were being held in the Greene County Jail. You have the person, someone who actually physically carried out the murder that we have to charge, but then also a co-participant that may have not, in this case, physically wielded the knife, but was just as involved in the murder that we also uh, had to charge. But given all that Gypsy had been through at the hands of her abusive mother, prosecutors thought a jury might excuse what she did. So they sought to remove a jury from the picture altogether, offering a plea deal instead of going to trial. Due to that long-term uh, abuse that she had already suffered, that um, ultimately, she ended up pleading to second-degree murder with a 10-year sentence in prison. But there was no talk of a plea deal for Nicholas Godijan, even though a first-degree murder charge was going to be difficult to prove in court. There was the misconception that what Mr. Godijan did was sort of this act of chivalry that he did it to save Gypsy from this situation. That was going to be a challenge to overcome. And then um, ultimately overcoming the defense, the fact that Mr. Godijan did have autism. May it please the court. Yes. When the trial began in November of 2018, Nathan Chapman delivered the prosecution's opening statement. Outside of Claudine Blanchard's bedroom door stood the defendant dressed in all black wearing blue latex gloves holding a knife for the defendant he was in love with gypsy blanchard claudine's daughter and as he stood there the only thing that stood between him being with gypsy was Claudine. The prosecution wanted to show the jury that Godijan had the capacity to make his own decisions. He had two thoughts, a benevolent thought that he described as 
an angel on one shoulder that said, just take Gypsy and run, and a malevolent thought, a devil on the other shoulder that said, the bitch is dead. Yes, this was Gypsy's idea, but the defendant on June 10th was ready to kill. Chapman showed the jury some of the text messages Nicholas sent to Gypsy, saying things like, is your mom a light or a deep sleeper? Babe, it's my evil side doing it. And he won't mess up because he enjoys killing. And these texts show he was enjoying it. He was looking forward to it. He was excited about it. In his opening statement for the defense, go to John's lawyer, Andrew Mead, portrayed Nicholas as someone who would have been easy to manipulate. Gypsy knew there was only one way she was going to be able to spend a life with Nick. There was only one way to get out from under the grasp of her mother, and that was to kill her mother. Nick was happy to do whatever Gypsy wanted. He was always compliant. You're going to hear testimony about Nick's autism. He has a low IQ. He suffers cognitive disabilities. And in the end, folks, you're going to understand the dynamics of this case, that Nick wasn't able to formulate the necessary mental state to commit murder in the first degree. The jury would soon see the video of Nicholas Godejohn being questioned by Detective Angela Maholi admitting to killing D.D. Blanchard. Because, and then the truth is, okay, I'll admit it. I did actually stab her mom. I will admit it. I know. Okay. On cross-examination, go to John's lawyers, tried to suggest Detective Maholi had taken advantage of him. Did you know that he was on the autism spectrum? No, sir. Had you received any kind of information that he was on the autism spectrum? No, sir. Now, this particular interview took place right after midnight. Yes, sir. And he seemed tired to you. Is that correct? Um, at times when he would say he was tired, he did appear that he might be tired. Did that cause you to question whether you should continue to question him, given the fact that he was tired and it was after midnight? No, sir. Being tired is not a deal breaker on an interview. Go to John's case was not helped when the jury saw a jailhouse interview he did with a TV reporter prior to the trial when he wasn't tired. The darker part of me was also in love with the darker part of her. And because of it, uh, the thought was, is, uh, excuse my French, but it basically said, this bitch is dead. On day three of the trial, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was called to testify, not by the prosecution, but by the defense. She was to be their star witness, and she began her time on the stand with a scathing denunciation of her mother. Why were you in a wheelchair in, in June of 2015? Because my mother forced me to be in one. Was there a time between when you first were put in a wheelchair in June of 2015 that you figured out that you really didn't need to be in a wheelchair? Yes. When was that? I always knew that I didn't need the wheelchair. How did you know that? Because I could walk. It was testimony the prosecution knew could be a game changer. We all knew she was somewhat of a, a sympathetic figure at that point, and there was a concern that that would potentially 
create a situation where uh, a jury may again think that Mr. Godijan did what he did to save Gypsy from these these awful conditions that she was in fact in. What illnesses did you believe you had? Cancer, muscular dystrophy. I needed glasses. I needed hearing aids. Seizure disorder. And I can't remember what else. And when did you figure out that you weren't actually sick? I started to piece things together when I was about 19 years old. Then I didn't understand the full extent of how healthy I was until after I got arrested. Why did you not tell doctors that you knew you could walk or you didn't believe yourself to be ill during the time that you were doing this? I didn't think that anyone would believe me. I thought they would eventually tell my mom and that would make my home life even worse for me. I feared her more than I feared anyone else. When you see the pictures of, of Gypsy and Dee Dee together, she just looks like a little child, you know, with oftentimes wearing a little hat. And then when you saw her on the stand in Gona John's murder trial, I mean, she's a woman, uh, definitely a grown up. Why would you make that post claiming to be new? I wanted her to be found. I wanted the cops to find her body. Gona John stared intently as his one-time girlfriend did her best to save him. Gosh, it looked like he was looking directly through her. It was, you could tell she was terrified. And then finally, the pivotal question from Gota John's lawyer, Duane Perry. Whose idea was it to kill your mother? Mine. Why did you want to kill your mother? Because I wanted to be free of her hold on me. The defense needed to show Nicholas Gota John was not the mastermind of this murder plot a point they hoped to drive home with testimony from their second and final witness, clinical psychologist Kent Franks. Have a seat, okay? He has an autism spectrum disorder. His ability to perceive reality is tenuous. He had a psychotic episode when he was 13 years old and hallucinated and talked about hearing seven or eight different kinds of voices. The trial would soon become a battle of experts, with the prosecution putting its own clinical psychologist on the stand, Dr. Robert Denny. Did you find the defendant to be intellectually impaired? I did not. Dr. Denny cited bus stop surveillance footage of Godajan and Gypsy to bolster his opinion. In the footage, Godajan appears calm as he and Gypsy are told there aren't enough seats on a bus they want to take back to Wisconsin. What's striking to me is that he did not blow up. He did not react angry or frustrated or um, like, which is what, something that, that, that would be very common with somebody with, with autism. He also pointed to interactions between Gota John and Gypsy captured on the video. Because you could see where they got in and out of the cab and would walk in and walk the other way. He would hold the door for her. When they walked by on a sidewalk, he was leading. She was following. Dr. Denny would be the last witness to testify in front of the jury setting the stage for closing arguments. There's been another obvious presence here throughout this trial. Prosecutor Nathan Chapman knew it was essential to get the jury's focus off Gypsy and the abuse she suffered at the hands of her mother. If we're not careful, there can be a tendency to let Gypsy's narrative overshadow 
what we're really here to decide. Because all along, flying under the radar, coolly, deliberately, was the defendant, Nicholas Godijan. And again, the jury was shown Godijan's text messages, talking about his evil side and asking Gypsy about her mother's sleeping habits. He's not doing anything different than someone else who's planning a murder, taking steps to incapacitate the victim, taking steps in case you're caught to have a story. His mild autism not changes nothing about any of the deliberation that you just saw. There's just no other decision than he is guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. Then, Duane Perry gave the last word for the defense. Let's get one thing straight. Who wanted Claudine Blanchard dead? Who? Gypsy did. Gypsy wanted Claudine Blanchard dead. She is fully capable of deception because that's how she lived her life. She was trained that way by her own mother. Gypsy manipulated Nick, a low-functioning person with autism. And then Gypsy pressures Nick into committing a homicide against her mother when he was only trying to help the woman he loved. Perry had essentially given up on pushing for a not guilty verdict, instead wanting the jury to find his client guilty of a lesser charge of second-degree murder. I believe after all the evidence that you consider, there is reasonable doubt as to his capacity to deliberate first-degree murder. And I believe the appropriate verdict in this case is one of the lesser homicides. Thank you very much for your time. The facts of the murder of D.D. Blanchard were never in dispute. The 17 stab wounds, the knife Gypsy stole for Nicholas Godijan to use. And again, Nicholas Godijan had admitted to these facts on video. Because, and then the truth is, okay, I'll admit it. I did actually stab her mom. I will admit it. Prosecutor Nathan Chapman did not expect the jury to be out for long. The main decision that they had to make was... If he had the capacity, if Mr. Godijan had the capacity to deliberate, then he was guilty of first-degree murder. If he did not, then he was guilty of second-degree murder. The key difference between the two charges being how long Nicholas Godijan would go to prison. A first-degree murder is life without parole. A second-degree murder uh, has a minimum of 10 and also can go up to life, but... It's not an automatic sentence. It was all hanging on that decision. Godijan had not testified during the trial, but just before the verdict was read, he told the judge he would abide by the jury's decision on sentencing if he was found guilty of second-degree murder. And if they find you of a lesser on count one, you are still asking for jury sentencing. Is that correct? Yes, Have there been any threats made to you to get you to waive that right? Have there been any promises? And with that, the court was ready to hear the jury's verdict. Would you pass down the file folders, please? Which narrative had the jury come to believe? Who was the mastermind of this heinous murder plot? As to count one, we, the jury, find the defendant 
Nicholas Godijan, guilty of murder in the first degree, we assess and declare the punishment for murder in the first degree at imprisonment for life without the possibility of probation or parole. Gypsy will be eligible in December of 2023, but Nicholas Godijan will spend the rest of his life behind bars. The bottom line is he still stabbed an individual, regardless of who it was, 17 times. And he, by the evidence in the trial, enjoyed doing that. And and I believe that justice was very much served in keeping him out of the community um, for as long as we possibly could. I don't think there is justice in this case. I think that everyone is broken and there's not a way to really put the pieces back together. Thank you for joining us for season one of Killer Cases. To make sure you don't miss case updates or future seasons, subscribe to or follow the podcast wherever you've been listening. Killer Cases, the podcast, is a production of the Law and Crime Network and Vault Studios. You can watch Killer Cases on the A&E Network and True Crime Network. Refer to your local programming guide for full details. Brian Weiss, John Ford, and Will Johnson are executive producers with Vault Studios. Reed Redman and Will Johnson produced and edited the podcast. Killer Cases, the television series, is written and presented by me, Brian Ross, and produced and directed by Rhonda Schwartz. Executive producers are myself, Brian Ross, and Rhonda Schwartz with Ellsworth Productions, and Rachel Stockman and Dan Abrams with Law and Crime Productions. Also thanks to producers Sam Kelly and Jennifer Tintner and editors Danny Hilton and Mick Teodori. Killer Cases is produced in partnership with Cineflex Rights and True Crime Network.